welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. We wrap up our month of May with a bunch of good movies and a few grieving mothers. This was a an interesting trilogy. I think it started off really strong with Aliens, because I think the mother character of Ripley is very much uh, front and center. Then we kind of take a back seat with Traffic because Catherine Zeta-Jones is our main mother character. And she's kind of in the ensemble, so she doesn't stand out as much. And with a simple favor, uh, Stephanie, the Anna Kendrick character, doing her helicopter mom thing in the beginning. But it begins to trail off because uh, it's not really what the film is about. But we do see hints about it. If if you were to dole out the best mom award for one of these uh, three mothers, is, is there anyone who's going to beat Ripley? Anna Kendrick, obviously for me. Oh my yeah. gosh! This is... <laughs> First off, okay, I, I want to uh, let's correct the narrative. Uh, this was an, a different trilogy we had in mind that will lead us into our, our next selected film, uh, Hitchcockian theme. And uh, you called an audible. I believe it was just so you could rewatch and talk about aliens. So let's be clear to our listeners that you said, let's do aliens instead. We'll figure the trilogy out from there. So, yes, of course, you're coming in saying aliens is the best, clearly the best, because I picked it. But I'm not going <laughs> to have you besmirch Anna Kendrick because she's actually a mother. Ripley's the only one here that is not a mother Whoa. in this film. This is us bending over backwards to be like, well, she finds a kid, and I guess she's motherly in that she wants to save an innocent life. I also don't think that it means that you know Bill Paxton may have made the same choice. I don't think that he's father of the year just because he doesn't let a child die. <laughs> I think there's obviously more going on in Alien than just Of course that. you do. Of course you do. You know, actually, one thing that really stuck out to me in this rewatch, and I'd never noticed it before, is that at the end of the film, I believe when the... Well, I guess we can also say the alien queen is a pretty fine mother herself, getting vengeance, or trying to at least by the end of the film. But how many do you have to kill before it triggers the vengeance? Because she lets a few of the little redheaded bastards go, that <laughs> her stepchildren in some way. Uh, she'll she'll grant Ripley uh, their deaths, but you try to take them all. Okay, that's pushing it. I gave you some aliens uh, with the, the the flames of revenge, but... No more. I want to know what the number is for the queen alien. She really represents, like, very conservative oh. views. She's very, very touchy about the unborn. But as soon as they're born, <laughs> they're on their own. <laughs> the, uh, uh, but going back to uh, what I noticed this time around was at the end when the, the queen xenomorph kind of shows up and, and rips Bishop's poor body in two... One of the things that I hear Newt say was she like running over to Ripley is mommy instead of Ripley. Like the mother arc, the transformation is complete. She says mommy, and that is exactly what uh, Ripley has become. And she's, you know, on her way to becoming uh, ever since we hear the horrible news that her biological daughter uh, passed on, I think, like a year prior to her waking up. So, but I, I thought it was very interesting. I tend to go with a, a simple favor in this regard because as someone who does not have children and find uh, – not just mothers. I won't just pick on this because uh, you know Mother's Day was this month. 
we're going into Father's Day next month, although clearly uh, we have less respect for that figure in the family because we're not going to do a thematic trilogy around Father's. <laughs> no, maybe, <laughs> maybe next, next year. year. <laughs> <Yeah>. Jinx. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I think that the reason – we're, we're coming at it from opposite angles here. Uh, we probably should – talk about the one <laughs> criterion collection in this trilogy we're just ignoring traffic even though that mom protects her her family by spilling blood and becoming a uh a drug kingpin of her own uh you have to respect the hustle there i like anna kendrick because it's clearly young tongue-in-cheek kind of taking apart i guess the modern mother as a not only like a lifestyle but something that can be a commodity uh, with social media. Like her, her whole persona is about being a mom and she's trying to, to gain a following and I guess maybe some income. I don't know. We don't get too far into the weeds onto that, but she's clearly like most people on social media in the film. She's very engaged and interested to see how her audience is growing, but the film rewards her and I reward her on this show by like most sitcoms, like everybody loves Raymond early episodes. Kids are, are there. Later episodes, the kids are there in theory. <laughs> we are parents, but we don't really need to involve them as much anymore. Even the, something like The Simpsons, where it became Homer's show instead of Bart's in those, like, the initial batch of episodes. I tend to, to favor the plot line where the kids, they're just window dressing now. And a simple favor, as soon as Blake Lively comes into the picture, it's about these two women, like, battling it out. Yes, they're both moms. But I think Anna Kendrick sees that uh, she can play uh, a different role, uh, going from what uh, best friend to uh, competitor. What would you say? I guess her final. I guess, I, I guess she's she's competing with with Blake Lively in a strange way to unravel her life. But I can't say that Blake Lively's character doesn't deserve it, considering the shenanigans that she's up to. Yeah, murder. Uh, Insurance fraud, according to Webb, day drinking, the ultimate sin from, <laughs> from your angle. We're going to live that down. <laughs> it's interesting in, in a simple favor because uh, the, the mothering is very much present in that first act, no doubt. And then you're right. Her role begins to change into best friend. And it's funny. She, as a father and even as a husband, as I transition from single life, to husband and then to father, I think it's very easy to begin to lose your individual self. Your own personality begins to change a little bit. And I've tried my best to continue to have certain hobbies. He says on a podcast talking about movies, as I look behind him on this call and see his wall of uh, graphic novel collections. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so I think, and that occurred over the past couple of years where maybe it was just, maybe it was a pandemic where it's like, oh my God, the walls are closing in. Nope. I, I prefer to blame your kid. That's the direction <laughs> you were going. <laughs> it's like, I, I need to make sure that I still have an identity outside of husband and father. And, and maybe that individual is still there. So, you get to kind of see the Stephanie character rediscovering her individuality through uh, being friends with uh, the Emily character and then ultimately competitor slash alpha female, the dominant female, I guess that kind of comes into effect. You know, what's interesting is also Emily towards the end 
it's questions like, why did you come back? Why are you still here? And her response is because of my kid. Like, I love that kid. But it's like everything you've done in the past two hours <laughs> proves otherwise. I don't know if that's the case. That may be a bridge too far for the audience if she also despised her child. Because I, I do think that the way the Emily character is presented on the play dates, she certainly comes across like children are an inconvenience. But she also is self-aware enough to know that it's like, she's an inconvenience to this play date. Like I'm not the type of person that needs to be here. Like I was not, I was not meant for these uh, expected social norms of like the mother figure in, in modern society of, I, I don't know. I guess we would call these characters well to do ish. I mean, obviously when you get, when you get into the plot, there is financial concerns motivating sort of the, the mystery and the crime. But I thought one thing what it, watching these three very different movies we we did push ourselves a little bit to go uh almost like two decades apart roughly uh, between each film uh different genres entirely is that all three of these women here are pushed into a very stressful situation, but at a certain point, it may be a little bit of a stretch for Ripley. You can't say that she does not excel. But certainly the other two, I think there's a certain degree of relish from Catherine Zeta-Jones and Anna Kendrick in that they're doing so well at this new life that they couldn't previously have envisioned for themselves at the start of the film. And they're dealing with stress and managing it and excelling in a way that they probably just didn't think they were capable of. Ripley, it's a little bit different uh, with her. Obviously, this not only is it a sequel, the only sequel in this particular trilogy but she's had a traumatic experience. Uh, maybe, as we talked about on the Aliens episode, her first uh, space adventure uh, was like pure horror, uh, just survive. Uh, reacting to uh, what's coming her way, not playing the James Cameron uh, action hero uh, that we see in Aliens, but still, that that is a turn for her. She, I, I think that that's why Aliens is so effective for me is that we didn't get her <laughs> calling the alien a bitch and uh, challenging it with, you know, whatever mech suit she had <laughs> laying around in the first film. So it makes her have more of an arc uh, than most sequels where it's usually I've done this before or, you know, the two days till retirement thing where it's like, I've done this so many times. Uh, the only thing that can stop me is age <laughs> and, you know, maybe real world financial obligations of the actors getting too expensive for the franchise, that sort of thing. But for the context of our trilogy, it makes her slightly different, but I still think it works in that she has to surprise herself given that she approaches this particular mission with trepidation and warning them that there's really no chance. There's just bomb the whole planet if there's one alien on our ship, look what it did to us then. If there's a whole bunch of them, if there's a, if mama aliens just popping them out left and right, we have no hope. So that's the thing I, I took from this collection of films that we're doing for this month is that these women surprise themselves uh, and take a certain degree of joy in, even though a simple favor leans comedy, all of the developments of the plot could be fairly traumatic and dark uh, as far as these revelations of what they have to deal with. And it's really cool to, to have three films for women, primarily the ones that handle it the best, even in traffic. Catherine St. Jones is probably uh, handling it in the most illegal way possible. And you could say even the most villainous. 
but she barely breaks a sweat uh, jumping into a world that she previously was either willfully ignorant of or like truly uh, unaware of what her husband's uh, business dealings were. So I liked that. I liked our three mother characters, even though the one that you liked the best, not technically a mother in this particular thing. You know, it's, it's fine web. If you, if you want to, to adopt a little newt or whatever, that's, that's fine. I'm not saying it's not warranted, but uh, on technicality alone, Ripley is the bronze medal winner by far. This is truly <laughs> oh a battle gosh. between traffic and a simple favor. <laughs> With Ripley, she really is ultimately just a body in Alien 1. Uh, she is, uh, what's the term? Scream Queen, I guess, the equivalent and the uh, last girl standing, essentially, of the that horror film. And so Cameron's doing all the heavy lifting in Aliens to ensure that she's a character that the audience can identify with. And I think it's a perfect uh, jumping off point to showcase that, hey, she's worried about her child now that she has fast forwarded 55 56 years whatever it is and it sets her off on that journey i think it's great Catherine zeta jones uh the helena character absolutely pushed the limit for her unborn child and you're right she goes from a life of upper class uh comfort to criminal mastermind so quickly because that and she has i think one scene where she can't believe like what's happening but she doesn't have any kind of negative feelings towards her husband she's just like okay this is the situation now i'm going to have to uh, dip my foot into premeditated murder and a little bit of drug trafficking but i'm gonna do it because that's the situation i'm in and she will absolutely do everything uh that she has to everything that she can to make sure her family stays together and that her unborn child comes into i guess the same accustomed life that she's used to does she now i can't remember does she have any other children outside of the one outside of her pregnancy yeah because there's the the child that is uh playing uh when they're threatened ah, by yes. someone that says that you know your husband owes this money i do wonder myself because we talked on that episode how Soderbergh was thankful may I don't know or just saw it as a happy accident that she actually was pregnant instead of you know writing the character uh to make it even more I, I guess melodramatic in a way so they they can blame Catherine Zay Jones and I guess blame Michael Douglas <laughs> like they're the ones that wrote that, yeah. that particular plot point not me I do wonder though what would what would your expectations be for that woman if if you removed the mother aspect of it? Say they didn't have a child together, she wasn't pregnant. Do you feel like the Helena character would react the same way as far as taking on her husband's sins, or would she be able to walk away without? Because you're you're saying that she's kind of coming at it from this protector aspect that this is the best way. Uh, to not unravel what she's built with her family. But if it was just a marriage, do you think that character would step away? Or maybe she just wouldn't step into the drug trade as much? Yes, I completely uh, say that, yeah. With the added pressure of a family, you just take on a, a, that additional role. Uh, because you're at the point in your life where the lives of these other individuals are just so much more important than your own. And I And I say that based on having my own child and also just you know generally if if you are like most parents or i would say 
I'm maybe I'm generalizing. Most parents are good parents in that way that they care about their children. Every now and then, you know, you'll see stories about uh, really ter- terrible stories where where children are left to fend for themselves. But for the most part, once you take on that protector role, something just switches in your head, and all of a sudden, everything tends to be about them. And so that's why I do feel quite selfish and bad sometimes when I'm like, no, I want to buy this book. It's never like, am I going to buy my kid diapers or this graphic <laughs> novel for myself? It's I never hope that. not, because there are, there are a number of uh, graphic novels behind you, sir. And I'm thinking, <laughs> how many days do Webb's child go without food? <laughs> Based on his Batman hardcover selections. <laughs> Thankfully, I, I, I'm in a financial situation that I don't have to make those decisions. So, but if, if it were to come down to it, all of this, all of this behind me and, and actually a lot of in front of me that you can't see and judge me for, I, I would put it up on the market for her. Well, okay. Yeah, on that, I was going to say, in fairness to you, I've also heard you say, uh, you know, if these things... Uh, go up in in value uh, as a, some sort of collector's item. That uh, yes, you would you would part with them uh, to further your uh, daughter's education. I'm hoping it doesn't come down to that particular Sophie's choice for you. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> you'll be in a foul podcasting mood that month. <laughs> It'll be the most dour trilogy <laughs> you can concoct for this show. <laughs> The bad seed and omen. situations make them better mothers with Ripley put into a situation where it's either the human race or her and you know in, in those and then with traffic with Catherine Zeta Jones it's like your family or uh, your husband and she's ha- she has to choose and then with Anna Kendrick I, I guess her entire livelihood is ultimately put into question as she's falling down the rabbit hole of Emily's schemes are these extreme situations making them better versions of themselves? We touched upon it a little bit, but it seems to be, yeah. Uh, and this is one of the things that I spoke to a family member about recently in terms of parenting in general. Uh, it, putting pressure on somebody, on your child, on yourself, is that going to make you better? And I feel that um, my parents probably put a little bit too much pressure on me, but had they put no pressure on me to succeed, to get a better education, to be better in general, to be a better human being, I don't know if I would have turned out the way that I am. And I'm not, not saying that I deserve any kind of awards or recognition, any kind of adulation. Look at you. <laughs> you you pick, pick aliens for, for one of our trilogy months, and you're just cock of the walk now, aren't you? You're just <laughs> tooting your own right. horn. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, that's how diamonds are made. You know, 
a little bit of pressure. So <laughs> you're not making yourself sound any more humble. <laughs> I am like a diamond. And so, yeah, each hmm. of these uh, mothers are put into situations where there's extreme pressure. And for the most part, I think they all come out on top in a big way. Um, it's interesting. I would, you know, Ripley is the only one that's being totally selfless here at, at times. Cause she does put herself in danger when they could say, well, that precocious little street urchin survived without us. Maybe she'll continue to survive <laughs> <laughs> as we drop nukes on this planet. <laughs> <Right>. Who knows? <laughs> well, she puts um, herself, Bishop yeah. and Hicks. Everybody uh, who's left alive into turmoil, so uh, she's willing to risk it all for this kid. Normally, I would have an issue uh, with that. I, I don't feel like those characters are just tagging along to this this deranged action hero, the the cop coming in to flip the sergeant's desk or whatever. That's just Ripley's just off the chain, just can't be controlled here. Cloverfield is one of the biggest sins. I remember that the first time watching theaters that was the biggest thing i hate about cloverfield is this dude i think gets like his best friend his brother one of their girlfriends killed to go see if this girl he hooked up with if her skyscraper is still standing or something i mean like there's no basis for them to say oh she's just around that corner i can walk or run the 10 feet to save her they're like let's go into the city with their version of Godzilla rampaging, and let's just have a look-see and see if she's still around. I hated that. I detest it because I, I was thinking, like, man, I would really have to be totally indifferent to my, my brother to be like, <laughs> I wonder if that girl made it. Let's just go travel New York City. Not only that, actually, but there was no payoff for it. Ultimately, the film kind of ends with, I guess, them all kind of dying for the most part. I just remember the, the the camera is flung across a field or something, right. and yes, presumably they all die. So it's okay, I think, to put others in peril if there is some kind of a payoff by the end. It's like, okay, it all kind of made sense, and it, even if it just works out, I'm, I'm okay with it. But you're right. That ultimately goes nowhere for you anybody. You are sounding more and more. I don't think I'm going to get you onto the uh, team a simple favor, uh, team Kendrick. I don't think so. But you're sounding like a Zeta Jones man from Traffic. <laughs> it's okay to put others in peril <laughs> if it was worth it. So, yes, roll the clip of Webb slash uh, Zeta Jones saying, get out of the car and shoot him in the head. <laughs> just, just handle it. <laughs> you know Do what? Your bidding, assassin. I was coming into this episode wondering where I was with Catherine Zeta Jones. But, yeah, the more I talk about her, the more I'm on her side. I hate to say it. I'm not. Not. <laughs> on Stephanie from Simple Favorites. I'm not, but it just seems to me that she is exploring different aspects of herself by the end of the film rather than strictly her motherhood, though I think that's very much intact. I mean, like you said, she has a damn helium tank for crying out loud. That's yes. good mothering. That's just Hot. good mothering. Sexy is what that is. <laughs> um, I would say that all three characters are moving past their not only their roles maybe you know just a mother but uh their roles a victim of some sorts you know ripley had this bad experience that she doesn't want to revisit um she is speaking practically and you know in a very sane manner saying probably shouldn't get any closer to those those aliens that would be for the best but then there's no movie uh catherine zay jones in traffic it's traumatic to know I mean, just 
that her husband has provided for them this great life through the inflicting pain on many, many other people and probably destroying families based on what he, he peddles. And then a simple favor. It's, I think it's, it's cool how they show us one thing about the Blake Lively character. Like we hear numerous times about how, Oh, she's missing. Yeah. She just does this. Sometimes she just goes, you know, for work, she'll just fly to Miami or whatever. And she doesn't even like talk to us, but she's, she'll come back. And I think as the audience, you're like, Oh God, what a terrible mother. Like she is, she, she doesn't need to be in this role. And it's better that Anna Kendrick pick up the pieces for her. But the fun in it for me is that what we reveal about Blake Lively is that she was protecting her family. Um, probably from one of those people, her twin sister in this case, very soap opery that was yeah. probably got uh, some of her, her product, some of her goods from the state <laughs> of Jones Jones. family. <laughs> but it, it is our main character, the one, our hero, Stephanie, that is able to move past this. Oh, I've been taken advantage of by the cool kid. I'm going to show her. And like, I've seen this a few times. You, I think you've sworn this one off now. No, uh, no. Okay. You keep you keep creating this false narrative. <laughs> I dislike this film. I just remember in our simple favor episode, you open with, "I really like this," uh, and now not so much. <laughs> it's like dwindling returns on the simple favor, and I was like, "God damn it! This is our fun one. This is our fun movie. <laughs> you leave it alone." It it was still fun. I just started seeing the cracks a little bit. That's all. I kind of agree with you. Not in the film. I'm starting to see the cracks during this conversation in the Stephanie character played by Anna Kendrick, where I feel like ultimately maybe she's the one that's not so likable because at least with our first two films, there is a witness to death and carnage. Uh, Your husband's imprisoned. Uh, People are threatening your, your family now. The worst thing that happens to the Stephanie character in Simple Favor is she has to babysit, and maybe she's the dork. She's the like the uh, what is that that movie, The Duff? (laughs) (laughs) In this, and I of course do not believe in that for Anna Kendrick. I find her uh, quite fetching, but she embraces being the antagonist with such joy and with such speed that actually makes me question like the goodness of of her character a little bit. Because the more we find out about Emily, I don't know if it justifies murder, but there was about to be some serious issues coming to her family's doorstep with her sister, like blackmailing her in a way and, you know, could, you know, in a subtle fashion, kind of threaten her child. And Kendrick is just like, I'm going to troll her. I'm going to find yearbook photos of her. (laughs) I'm going to ruin her life. (laughs) Which... All that is to say, Webb, that I enjoy the film more the more villainous Anakin becomes. <laughs> uh, you know what? Next time I watch it, and I will watch it, because, like I said last week, it's still a damn entertaining film, no matter what I think about a character or not. There's just no doubt that I'm very entertained by the end of it. I'm going to look at the film in that way, in that context, where Anna Kendrick is the villain, and Blake Lively is our hero. I don't know. I think that may be a stretch to call her the hero, but still, I, I, I love coming at films that I've already seen in a completely different context. I think that this... Isn't it nice that movies can present us someone like a Blake Lively, a Brad Pitt, someone of, the, of those looks, 
<laughs> who has probably had it relatively easy in life compared to the rest of us. And with the uh, credit to the filmmakers here, you can be like, you know what? Blake Lively is the victim. She's had a rough <laughs> go of it lately. <laughs> I mean, that kid came out of her and destroyed her uterus on the, mm-hmm. in the process. So I get it. I get it. All she's got left is that horrific painting on the wall. <laughs> Iconic. Thanks, there are dude. rough angles, even for Blake Lively, and that is that is one of them. <laughs> I think, as I always do at the end of these wrap-ups, like, wow, what a great trilogy. It really was. I think if Michael Douglas had been a woman, or, excuse me, if the character had been... <laughs> If the character was a mom and she was the one trying to find her daughter in in all these different houses alongside Eric Foreman, I think it would have made for an even more dynamic trilogy. Hmm. But if we can, if we change it to parents, I think it, it and include him, this gets even better. But ultimately, like all, but then poor Henry Golding, who probably the worst father. <laughs> 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 Maybe I'll take you know it down what? a notch. He he sleeps with Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick. Boy, he's that's, really that's not the my... victim of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can only go so far with my sympathies to the the uh, beautiful people on on screen. Boo hoo! He only had one uh, number one bestseller novel. Darn! I and think Anna Kendrick would not uh, grant him a threesome like his wife would. <laughs> allegedly, <Tough>. allegedly. <laughs> This was a great trilogy. I'm very happy that we did it. I think it was, uh, and l- it just goes to show you that we can call audibles here and there and still ultimately end up with something uh, super worthwhile. So I-, I give this a big old thumbs up and I'm excited for our non-Father's Day June coming up. <laughs> is a survivor already with the uh oh no space hey hey time out buddy uh my thing stopped uh recording i I got a call in between and uh god damn it i've got a backup do you do you have a backup i should have the zoom backup okay give me a second oh son of a bitch i lost like way more than i thought of all things my mom called, and I had to. <laughs> <laughs> and she fucked up this recording. 